0: All right, and good morning. We are so glad that you are here. And you know there's more people on my left than over here. And I appreciate that because I'm left-handed. And people tell me that I naturally preach to the left. So how about that? You guys are in for a treat today, all right? Hey, glad that you are here. This is the last Sunday of our Graves into garden series. And I've heard several of you have, have been kind enough saying, you know, this series has been very meaningful. And I want you to know it's been very meaningful for me last week, especially was one that spoke to my heart um, loud and clear. And I'm very excited about our last one. And, and we're going to talk about he turns um, ashes into beauty or trades beauty for ashes. And it's so funny um, you know, I picked these sermon titles... And I really did not make that connection. Honestly, it was not. It was not. It was the story of Cinderella... You know how that she was thrown into a difficult situation, uh, drawing back from last week. Um, three um, more than's was determined to make her miserable in her less than life. The stepmother and the and the two evil stepsisters and and they were determined to ruin her life. And her life was miserable. And I really didn't think about the fact when I talked about you know beauty into you know ashes into beauty beauty. You know I didn't really think about Cinderella. <laughs> She was named that because she had the, the soot all over her, um, from cleaning out the fireplace. So I didn't even think about how God can take, take this, this, these ashes and turn them into beauty. And so anyway, so, so finally there's the big ball and, and the fairy godmother shows up and, and gives her, you know, the dress and the pumpkin turns into a carriage and all those wonderful things. She goes to the the big ball and and has to leave at midnight before the Prince Charming can rescue her. And he tracks her down. Boy, does God ever track us down. (laughs) Amen. He tracks her down and and, marries her. And she becomes the the queen, the princess um, of the kingdom. It's just a great story of redemption. And what's cool is that is exactly what God does for us. That's exactly what. What God does for us. So today, we want to look in Mark chapter 5, and we're going to look at again one of those favorite stories of mine um, that talks about God's redemptive power in the life of a person whose world was so broken. Before we jump into Mark, I wanted to share with you Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse number 11. It's really a good verse. Um, It says this um, Yet God, yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time he has planted eternity in the human heart and what you see here is the old testament romans 8 28 all things somebody say all all things work together for good to those who love god who are the called according to his purpose. And if you look at this verse, you see that. Yet God has made everything beautiful. That's the concept that God can take the worst of situations. If you're a Cinderella and you find yourself in a, in a world filled with more than's and they're making your life miserable, I want you to know that God can make it beautiful. And if your marriage is broken, um, if your heart is broken, if your career is broken, if sin is entered into your life and, and your character and your integrity um, is broken, God can make all that beautiful because of his marvelous grace. And he does it, though, in, in, in the way it says in Ecclesiastes 3, for its own time, for its own purpose. And God is working out his purpose in our lives, in our lives. And then over, and before we jump into Mark, in Isaiah 61 verse number 3, it's another one of those scriptures, you gotta understand, um, Israel was just messed up. They they spent their lives messed up, but they were just messed up again. They 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 were in captivity, and and their world was miserable. And they thought God had forgot them. God didn't love them, and He sends a series of messages to them that is meant to encourage. And and here's what He says in Isaiah sixty-one three to all who mourn in Israel. And that's our tagline. We're going to bring we're going to bring that verse Isaiah 61 right into our lives this morning. We're going to bring it right into our lives. To all you who mourn, to all of you who feel like Cinderella, to all of you who feel like your life is just totally messed up. Perhaps you feel like today it's even unredeemable. That God in all his mighty power and all his grace cannot fix it. Even he can't fix the mess. That you've made of your life. To all who mourn in Israel. Here's the promise. He will give a crown of beauty for ashes. He will take you Cinderella. From the fire pit. From being a slave to the evil stepmother. And two evil stepsisters. He will redeem you from that. He'll take that and turn that ash into Beauty. He he will give a joyous blessing instead of mourning. In fact, he'll give festive praise instead of despair. So, so child of God, child of God. And by the way, we're gonna have a salvation ending today. But for those of you who are already children of God, just remember this: no matter what you're going through today, it came to pass. It came to pass. This this world is not the final word in your circumstances. This world is not the final word in your circumstances. It came to pass. And there's a better day coming. Can you say amen to that? There is a better day coming. It reminds me of the old story about the spoon, where the woman said, when she died, be sure and put the spoon in the casket. And and why, they said, well, because at my house, you saved the spoon. They'll say, keep your spoon, because the dessert was coming. Well, brothers and sisters, save the spoon, because the dessert is coming. There is a better day coming. Now, to our friend today that we're going to meet in Mark chapter 5 and verse 25, that may have really seemed like an impossibility. It may have seen, And it might seem like an impossibility to you. Because, again, all you can see is the hopelessness that surrounds you in your world today. Well, in Mark chapter 5, verse 25, the Bible says... That there was a woman. And I find it interesting that last week we talked about a woman taking adultery, and here we have a woman um, wrapped up in another kind of uncleanness, uncleanness and cleanness. And again, the men men had a status, and women did not. That's why these stories are here because it's always the woman. It's always the woman that society cast down. It was always um, the woman that the religious institutions cast down. So there was a woman, she was just, we don't have her name, we don't know anything about her besides the calamity that she finds herself in, but a woman in the crowd, now listen carefully, had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. This woman had suffered with constant bleeding for 12 years. Now to give you a time span, imagine starting first grade, And then you graduate 12 years later. That was the time span. You started in first grade and went all the way to graduation, high school graduation. For that span of time, this woman had an issue of blood, an issue where she was bleeding every day. Now, now this is filled with ramifications. Um, See, she lived in an unclean world. An unclean world. In Leviticus chapter 15 verse 19 and the verses following there, it makes it very clear that if a woman had an issue of blood, if a woman um, was bleeding from her body, then number one, she was unclean. It's almost like being a leper. It's almost like being a leper. I mean, she was an unclean person. But not only that, any person who touched her, any person who would be bold enough to associate with her, was declared unclean too. And then if that wasn't enough, anything she touched, anything she laid on, anything she uh, sat on, uh, was all unclean. So her whole world was unclean. Can you imagine that? You've dealt with this um, issue for 12 years, and it's an unclean world. You know, you, you, the, the word on the street is, she's unclean. Uh, Everybody says, hey, avoid so-and-so, because if you mess with her, you're going to be unclean. And then don't loan her your sweater or your jacket or or anything else, because it'll be unclean too. It was a pretty crazy world. You know, you you might say this, you know, physically, physically, she was in pain. You can imagine the anemia, the lack of energy, um, and eventually, I would assume, if she bled heavy enough and long enough, she could bleed to death. So her physical world was filled with pain. Emotionally, rejection. No one wanted to hang around her. No one. And then, and then there's this isolation, this spiritual isolation. See, we, we don't, we, you know, let's face it. Some of us yell, well, let's look for an excuse not to go to church next week. Well, that wasn't their world. The temple was the center of their world. And she wasn't welcomed. She could sneak in the back door. But she wasn't welcome. When, when she came in the front door, people scattered. People gossiped. People murmured. So our teaching point says this. This gives you a scope of the time. For 4,380 days. 4,380 days. 4,380 days. Sunrises and sunsets. She woke up into a world of physical pain. Emotional rejection and spiritual isolation. You may feel that way. You know, maybe there's something in your past or something in your present. Or maybe you see something coming in your future. Um, back about 40, 50 years ago, if you happened to go through the agony of a divorce, you you were pretty, boy, you were, you were scorned in the church. And there are other things we could talk about that would have you to be scorned. Every day she woke up with that. And an and act of, here's your key word if you're taking notes, write this down. It is an act of desperation. She was willing to try anything in hope of getting something. She was willing. Now, now I'm going to tie this in, in just a moment, but you really need to grab this, okay? She was willing to try anything in hopes of getting something. Well, in verse 26, we get the scope of her her suffering, the Bible says um, she had suffered a great deal from many doctors. Now, now again, we live in a culture where doctors are respected and, and and pretty much trusted. Back in her day, it was quack time. I mean, there was so limited medical knowledge, and they would try the craziest things to fix people. So unlike today, she had tried many doctors, and over the years, she had spent everything she had to pay for them. I mean, she was willing to try anything in hope of getting something. Now, here's what you need to hear today. It might be you. You may be, even though you're a Christian, you may be in a point where you'll try anything to get something. But I promise you this. Right outside those glass doors, there's a world. And they are searching. And the culture that we live in They are willing to try anything in hopes of getting something. There's a lot of reasons for the strange sexual junk that's going on today. But a lot of those people are searching for something in hopes of getting anything. Which raises the question, how are we going to react to that? If, in fact, outside those doors, there's a world out there that's so messed up that they would take anything because it's better than nothing. What are we going to do? What are we going to do with that? We we can't trust our emotions and we can't trust sometimes our our knee-jerk reaction. But we have to do and need to do something. Well, it goes on and says... But she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. For someone like this, for someone who's willing to try anything to get something, you know, I'm going to say something weird, so hang on. Short of the gospel, church could be worse. You say, well, Dwayne, why in the world would you say that? Because a person who doesn't know Jesus and doesn't inv- interact with the gospel comes to a place where rules are taught. And we talk about thou shalt not, and thou shalt not, and thou shalt not. And, and we teach that, and they try. They say, I'm going to do, do better. And they come to a place where rules are taught, and guess what? They can't do better. And they end up feeling more guilty and more broken than they did when they came in. That's why it's so important that we include a gospel presentation in what we do. I know we think that I preach for us. I also preach for those outside that door who just might wonder in that day and need the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? It's just the truth. It's just the truth. We want to make sure that when people come here that they understand the power of the gospel because it's not. it can actually hurt them and drive them further away from God when they say, See, I tried, I tried it and it didn't work, they say. The trouble is, they didn't try Jesus. They tried religion, and that didn't work. Well, our teaching point says this. So, for those same three, 4,380 days, she endured the world's cures. Whatever, whatever she could find in the world. And you know what? Come on, come on, come on. You know what it is? It is sex, it is drugs, it's addictions, it's toys. It's, it's debt. It's bigger houses and faster cars. She endured all these cures. And just like her, it's us, this world, only to find herself broke and broken. See, the, the cures of the world are not cheap. They'll cost you financially, morally, character, integrity, all those things. She found herself broke and broken but here's here's the part that's important her desperate faith led her to jesus now i almost like this better but since i wrote it i'll leave obviously left it in there but you could say it this way too but i really like the word faith in there but you could say her desperation led her to jesus she had tried the doctors, she had tried the pharmacies. She had tried everything she could, and her desperation, her desperate faith led her to Jesus. I know you don't like and I know I don't like what's going on in culture today. I don't. I don't like where culture's going, but I understand why they're going. They're desperate. But has it ever occurred... I'm desperate, by the way, not for God. Desperate for something. Because again, again, when you're, when you're so desperate, you'll look for anything because anything's better than nothing. But what if? What if like this woman, after she tried 12 years of doctors and 12 years of the world's cure, what if... She tries Jesus, and she does. What if God is setting this world up to a world of desperation so people just might hunger for the gospel? What if? What if? What? What would happen if we as the church, instead of looking at these are days when the world's falling apart, to look forward to a days when God is setting up a great revival as he took, takes culture and turns into a culture of desperation. People looking for anything. And then they say, well, I've tried this, 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 and this. I might as well try God. What if God? Matter of fact, if you look back in the history, most revivals started in pure desperation of times. Phil Biense says this, and it's not in your worship at --We are all desperate. We are all desperate. And that is in fact, the only state appropriate, the only state appropriate to a human being who wants to know God. God needs to make us desperate. So we'll turn to him. And by the way, once again, that's true for his children. God will bring situations and circumstances into our lives because it makes us desperate for him. It makes us desperate for him. Well, verses twenty-seven and twenty-eight sets it up. So she had heard about Jesus. She had heard about Jesus. There was, there's no, you know. Jesus didn't have a PR agent, a public relations agent. He didn't have someone who did his PR work. Um, there was not an advertising agency for him. He didn't have billboards set up, you know, working with Lamar Corporation and lying the highway with, with, with bulletin boards. He did not had that. You know what he had? He had, had word of mouth. He had word of mouth. You know, uh, there's a story in, in Mark, or excuse me, John chapter 4 about a Samaritan woman by the well. Do you remember that story just a little bit? And Jesus talks to her and talks with her and she, she'd have five husbands and the person she was living with didn't have one and Jesus spoke to her and, and she realized that he was the Messiah and she runs, and she runs back to her village. And do you remember what she said? Come see a man. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. That fueled the popularity of Jesus. Word of mouth. Someone told me today that people in the community talk about our church. Well, it's not just us, any church. But the question is, what are they saying? Are they talking about us being more than's, better than's? Or are they talking about... Jesus. Jesus. Are they talking about a church that loves Jesus or a church that loves themselves? Just something to think on. So she had heard about Jesus. So she came up behind him. And that is just pure fear and humility. She came up behind him. Through the crowd, she forced away. Remember, remember this woman's unclean. So she kind of like covers up and hunkers down, sneaks up behind Jesus and, and fights her way to Jesus through the crowd. And he touches and she touches his robe. She touches his robe. Now, I'll say it in a minute, but I might as well say it now too. Don't think that she was thinking, oh, his robe is Holy. It's kind of like the Shroud of Turin, you know. Oh, oh we just touched the shroud or, or find a, a handkerchief that somebody prayed over and touched that. No, I don't think so. I really don't because of what it says. You know, she touched his robe in verse 28. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. What she's saying is, I, I have so much faith in Jesus that I, if I just touch his robe, something Is going to happen. You remember the story in in Matthew chapter 8, verse 8. You know, a centurion, a Roman centurion, comes up to Jesus and says, Hey, I've got a servant who's really sick, and so I'd like for you to come and heal him. And Jesus said, Should I come to your house? And the centurion said, Oh, no, no, no. You don't need to come to my house. All you need to do is speak the word, and he'll be healed. Same thing. She's saying, if I just can touch, if I can just touch his robe, then I believe I will be healed. I can't give credit to this because I couldn't find a a person to credit it to. But faith does not make things easy. It makes them possible. That's a good place for an amen. Faith does not make it easy. It makes it possible. It was not easy for her to put herself at risk. All it took was one person recognizing her and the crowd would scream, I'm clean, I'm clean, I'm clean. And push her and shove her and perhaps hurt her. It was hard to fight the crowd. It was hard to have the courage to walk up to this rabbi and even touch from behind and even touch his robe. It was hard. But faith doesn't make it easy. It just makes it possible. You know, angel said to Mary, uh, how can this be? And he said, well, listen, with God, all things are possible. In your Cinderella world, all things are possible. In your broken world, all things are possible with faith um, in God. Forty years ago, I stumbled into, I don't, after I thought about it, I always try to be truthful when I'm telling stories, except for when I'm writing them in the blog, and then you never know. (laughs) If you've read my stories, you know. Uh, I do tend to embellish them. Um, But anyway, you know, 40 years ago, either at the Missouri Evangelism Conference for the state or at the Southern Baptist Convention that was held in Kansas City or St. Louis, or yeah, I had to Kansas City that day. Um, In the seat was a card, and I've shared this with you multiple times over my tenure here as your pastor. And here's what it says. When you have come to the edge of all light that you know, and you're about to drop off into the darkness of the unknown. When you come to the edge of all the light that you know, and you're about to drop into the darkness of the unknown. Faith is knowing. Faith is knowing one of two things will happen. There will be something solid to stand on in that darkness. Or you will be taught to fly. That's faith. And in your broken world, where your marriage is gone and your health is gone, your kids are gone. In your broken world today, you've got and you come to the edge of the darkness. And all the known light is behind you. you just got to believe. That when you take that step of faith into the darkness, God's going to give you something to stand on, or he's going to teach you how to fly. Well, in verse 29, the Bible says, immediately, immediately, um, the bleeding stopped. Twelve years of illness and one Step of faith, in one moment of faith, immediately the bleeding stopped. And she could she could feel in her body that she had been healed. I love this verbiage in this translation. She's been healed of her terrible condition. Her terrible condition. And I read Wearsby, who I really like in his commentary. He's of course gone to heaven now. But I love the fact that I, what I thought he confirmed. That what happens here is her physical need was met. But as happens so often, when when Jesus would heal someone, they got more than they bargained for. They not only got the physical healing, they got the spiritual healing. And I want you to know this. You've got the same terrible condition that she had. And that is, the Bible says... All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous. No, not one. Every human being is born with that terrible condition. And just like Jesus, in, in faith, without, without him even knowing what happened, the power went out of his body, his robe, his body, and she was healed physically. But also healed spiritually. She was healed of her terrible condition. And my teaching point says this the evidence was substantial. The bleeding stopped, but there was something more. She was healed of her terrible condition. And God wants, if you are here today without faith in Jesus Christ, I want you to know that God wants to heal you of your spiritual, terrible condition, which is being separated from Him. He wants to invite you back into. Um, his family. Well, we're going to pick it up now in verse number 34. And again, we're going to skip just a little bit there. In verse number 34, and, and after it happens, you know, and he says, who touched me, you know, and, and, and she comes forward and tells what she did. In verse 34, the Bible says, and he said to her, daughter. Would you let that soak in just a moment? He said to her, daughter. You see, in our teaching point, you know, the church... Called her unclean. The community. Called her. Unwanted. Most likely. Her family called her unworthy. But Jesus. Called her daughter. Can somebody say amen? Do you understand what he did for you? You came one day to a, to a throne of grace. And you were broken. And you. Words like liar, thief, immoral, sinner were your names, your labels. And then you trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. And He called you son. He called you daughter. Isn't it beautiful? See, that's the, that's that's the message that the world needs to hear. There's a God. Yes, there's a God. And yes, He's holy. And yes, He's just. But He's a God of mercy and love. And He made a way that every person, every man, woman, and child, regardless of skin color or economic status, can be forgiven and saved. Well, he said, daughter, and he says, listen, there's three things you need to know. And this is why I'm sure she got more than she bargained for. Um, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. She hadn't known peace for 12 years. Your suffering, your suffering is over. Your suffering's over. He looked at her and healed her body and healed her broken spirit and gave her life. And gave her eternal life. The teaching point says this again. Let me just read it again. Nancy, throw it there one more time. The church called her unclean. The community called her unwanted. Most likely her family called her unworthy. But Jesus called her daughter. And if you're here today, that's what he wants to do for you. There's a great scripture, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 and 8. In him, in Christ, we have redemption Redemption means to buy back. Have redemption through his blood. Interesting enough, her issue was blood and his issue was blood. Her issue of blood killed. His issue of blood gives life. Hmm, that's pretty good. <laughs> through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, our sins. How? According to the riches of his grace. I love this word. Again, that's why I like different translations. Which he lavished upon us. He he didn't give us a little sprinkling of grace. He gave us a lavish dose of his grace. And he did it for her, and he wants to do it for you. Now, 7 to 1, is that like betting betting? Seven to one, most of us here today know Jesus Christ as Savior. And you're going, you know, that was really great for her. But I want you to know something. That lavishness of grace doesn't stop at salvation. He just keeps dumping it on. And if you're in a situation, you've allowed yourself to get in a sinful position, you know that. He loves you. And today you trusted him, he forgave your sins. But he wants to lavish more grace on you. Living grace. Victorious grace loving grace. That's what He wants to do. So as we end our series and end this message, um, two things. Um, first, I would like, if you're here today, to know that we love you and God loves you. And if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, I'll be standing down front and we'll take time this morning and I'll be glad to answer questions. Or you can say, I'll just grab you after church, Dwayne." And so when this service is over, you can grab me and say, hey, tell me more about this. Because my life's a mess, just like Hers was a mess, and I want to know that I can be forgiven, and we'll be glad to do that. For those of us who know Jesus as Savior, just understand that grace still applies to your life now. No matter how big of a mess you make, it still applies. It still matters. But also remember what I said. There is a world out there, and they're searching. And they're looking, by the way, at us with a critical eye. It's important. That they see Jesus. Because Jesus is the answer. Would you bow your heads please where you are? We call this our time of decision. The team will be coming up to lead us in a song. And I'll be standing down front. And if you just want somebody to pray with you, the altar is open. If you want to come pray, and I'll be glad to pray with you. Um, Whatever we can do, we want to do that. I'm telling you, folks. Jesus is a game changer. We saw that no matter what story it was, throughout this series no matter what story we saw, we learned over and over again he's the only one that can. He's the only one that can. He's the only one that can. He can he can turn bones into armies. He can turn seas into highways. He can trade, you know, beauty for ashes, ashes for beauty. You know, he can and he wants to because he loves you so much. So God, thank you for the privilege of sharing this truth today. And uh, I want to thank you, Father, for these folks who chose to come this morning. May they leave with with a, a burning in their hearts that you love them so much. Father, if there's someone here who's broken, Father, broken, broken, trying to find anything because anything is better than nothing, may they understand today that you are the only one who can. You are the only one who can. And Jesus, we pray this in your precious name.